TED Audio Collective. There I was at the women's semifinals of the U.S. Open, watching Coco Gauff do her thing, when suddenly the match was interrupted. Three protesters started shouting. We didn't know why, but upon further examination, they were wearing T-shirts that read, End Fossil Fuels. The match got stopped. Officers arrived to escort them out, only to find that one of the protesters had glued his feet to the stadium floor. Activists around the world are demanding change, making noise, throwing paint at artwork in museums, and yes, gluing their feet to stadium floors. This past September, tens of thousands took to the streets of New York as part of the march to end fossil fuels. These activists are trying to alert us to the fact that business as usual isn't working. Business as usual is actively harming our planet. And in case you didn't know, the fossil fuel industry is still by far the largest contributor to global warming. We're not seeing any significant evidence of their commitment to climate solutions. In fact, many of the fossil fuel companies have walked their promises back. So who do they think they're fooling with their small-scale efforts? I'm Madhupa Akinola. This is TED Business. Our speaker today is Al Gore, former vice president and Nobel laureate. And he's mad. Mad at the lip service these companies are providing, the lies they've promoted, and the massive amounts of money they're making off the life-altering damage they're wreaking on this planet. And he's here to get you mad, too. And after the talk, so will I. But first, a quick break. This show is brought to you by Schwab. You're here because you like to keep a pulse on trends in technology. Well, now you can invest in what's trending in artificial intelligence, big data, robotic revolution, and more with Schwab Investing Themes. It's an easy way to invest in ideas you believe in. Schwab's research process uncovers emerging trends. Then their technology curates relevant stocks into themes. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy all the stocks in a theme as is or customize to better fit your investing goals. All in a few clicks. Schwab Investing Themes is not intended to be investment advice or a recommendation of any stock or investment strategy. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing. Hey, TED Business listeners. We're supported by our friends at Working Smarter, a new podcast from Dropbox exploring the exciting potential of AI in the workplace. Working Smarter talks with founders, researchers, and engineers about the things they're building and the problems they're solving with the help of the latest AI tools. Tools that can save them time, improve collaboration, and create more space for the work that matters most. On Working Smarter, hear practical discussions about what AI can do so that you can work smarter too. Listen to Working Smarter on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or visit workingsmarter.ai. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, 
You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Add a little curiosity into your routine with TED Talks Daily, the podcast that brings you a new TED Talk every weekday. In less than 15 minutes a day, you'll go beyond the headlines and learn about the big ideas shaping your future. Coming up, how AI will change the way we communicate, how to be a better leader, and more. Listen to TED Talks Daily wherever you get your podcasts. The most important question these days is how can we speed up the solutions to the climate crisis? I'm convinced we are going to solve the climate crisis. We've got this. But the question remains, will we solve it in time? Others have said we're kind of in a race. And we have gotten used to the fact that the world suffers deep droughts and huge rain bombs and downpours and floods simultaneously. The really ingenious new gravity measuring satellite has given us for the first time the opportunity to see how this plays out worldwide. We get these huge uh, surpluses of uh, water, the rain bombs, and the droughts simultaneously. And at both ends of our planet right now, we're seeing signs of distress. Of course, you know, just I've often said uh, every night on the TV news is like a nature hike through the book of Revelation. And just today, uh, big flooding in Montpelier, Vermont, in southern uh, Japan, in India, and I haven't done a complete scan, but every single day it, it, it's like that. But in Antarctica, uh, some scientists who are normally pretty level-headed are getting a little bit freaked out, I would say, is a fair definition about the lowest level ever at this point in the year of sea ice. And at the other pole in the North Atlantic, we're seeing literally off the charts uh, temperatures. So obviously the crisis uh, has to be addressed. And the good news is, as others have often said, we are seeing a tremendous progress. And it starts with the Inflation Reduction Act here in the United States, President Biden, the Congress, uh, they have passed the best, biggest climate legislation in all of history. And it's said to be 369 billion, but it's the heavy lifting's done by tax credits, and most of them are open-ended, and the early applications already show it's going to be well over a trillion dollars, maybe 1.2 trillion. So this is really uh, good news. And one month after that passed, Australia changed its government and started changing its laws, and it's now a pro-climate nation. A month after that, uh, Brazil did the same thing. New uh, president, new policies protecting the Amazon. And throughout, the European Union has resisted the efforts uh, of Russia to blackmail it into supporting its sadistic and cruel invasion of Ukraine. And there are other signs of success as well. China's reached its renewables target five years ahead of time. It's still building a lot of coal, but only 50% capacity utilization. So there is lots of good news. But still, in spite of this progress, the emissions are still going up. Uh, And the crisis is still getting worse faster than we are deploying the solutions. So maybe it's time to look at the obstacles that are standing in our way. I'm going to 
focus on two of them. Uh, first of all, the unrelenting opposition from the fossil fuel industry. A lot of people think they're on side and trying to help, but let me tell you, and the activists will all tell you this, every piece of legislation, whether it's at the municipal level, the regional or provincial level, the national level, or the international level, they're in there with their lobbyists and with their fixers and with their uh, revolving door colleagues doing everything they can to slow down progress. So speeding up progress means doing something about this. They have used fraud on a massive scale. Uh, they've used falsehoods on an industrial scale, and they've used their legacy political and economic networks, lavishly funded, to capture the policymaking process in too many countries around the world. Uh, and the Secretary General said, the fossil fuel industry is the polluted heart of the climate crisis. Now, that's not to say that the, the men and women who've worked in fossil fuel for the last century and a half are not due our gratitude. They are. And they didn't cause this. But for decades now, the companies have had the evidence. They know the truth. And they consciously decided to lie to publics all around the world in order to calm down the political momentum for doing something about it so they could make more money. It's simple as that. And now they have brazenly seized control of the COP process, especially this year's COP in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. And concern has been building about this for quite some time. I remember when there were so many fossil fuel delegates uh, in Madrid, but by the time we got to Glasgow a year and a half ago, the delegates from the fossil fuel companies made up a larger group than the largest national delegation. Now why? Why? Because they're helping, they're not helping, they're trying to stop progress. And last year in Egypt, they had more delegates than the combined delegations of the 10 most affected uh, countries by climate. And now... This year's host, which is a petrostate, uh, has appointed the president of COP28 in spite of the fact that he has a blatant conflict of interest. He's the CEO of the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company, owned by Abu Dhabi. Their emissions are larger than those of ExxonMobil, and they have no credible plan whatsoever to reduce them. So this is the person in charge of the COP. He's a nice guy. He's a smart guy. But a conflict of interest is a conflict of interest. And a matter of fact, they have a plan now to have a, a, a new increase in their emissions. Their plan is to increase the production of both oil and gas by as much as 50% by 2030, which is the same time frame when the world is trying to reduce emissions by 50% by 2030. And the same person has been put in charge of both of those efforts, direct conflict of interest. I think it's time to say, wait a minute, do you take us for fools? Do you think you can just completely remove the disguise and we won't notice? The fossil fuel industry has captured this process and is slowing it down, and we need to do something about it. Now, they, they, they plan to increase their emissions.
getting all hot and bothered here. <laughs> the head of the International Energy Agency was talking about several oil companies who have publicly pledged to increase their oil and gas and simultaneously pledged to comply with the Paris Agreement. Do you take us for fools? You cannot do both of those things simultaneously. And if you think we believe you when you say that, we beg to differ. Last year at the COP, the fossil fuel uh, petrostates vetoed any mention of phasing down fossil fuels. They say, oh, it's not, that's not, not the problem. The, the, uh, one of the Secretary of State equivalent in Saudi Arabia said, we don't see this as a discussion about fossil fuels. Let me tell you, the climate crisis is a fossil fuel crisis. The solutions are going to come from a discussion and collaboration about phasing out fossil fuels. And there is only so much longer they can hold this up and tie us down and keep us from doing uh, the right thing. Now, this, the uh, director general of this year's uh, COP, working under uh, Sultan Al-Jaber, he worked for Adnoc also. He was seconded for several years to ExxonMobil. He said, no, it's all, that's all changed. This year, they've changed. The fossil fuel companies are really engaging us. They have changed. Yes, they have changed. They've changed for the worse this year. You don't believe me? BP, they said, uh, we're going to net zero. There's no turning back. A few months ago this year, they turned back, and they decided to roll back their investments. ExxonMobil, oh, my God. Uh, this is minor compared to their... Uh, industrial scale uh, lying, you know, but they, they've had all the TV ads on, particularly in the U.S., to, about revolutionizing biofuels. And then a couple of months ago, they said, oh, we've changed our mind. We're, we're just going to cancel that program. The industry as a whole has not been uh, acting in good faith. Shell reversed its commitment to increase their investments in fossil fuels. They announced just a couple of months ago, they're going to plow that money into expanding oil and gas production instead. So are they, did they miss the memo? Uh, well, no, they say they've discovered uh, a, a way out. They, they're telling us now that the problem is not fossil fuels. It's the emissions from fossil fuels. And so all we have to do is to capture the emissions from the fossil fuels. Now, I'm all for research and development into trying to capture emissions or sucking it out of the air if they want to do that. But let's don't pretend it's for real. Maybe someday it will be. Maybe someday it will be. Now, the head of ExxonMobil say, not oil and gas, it's the emissions. And Abu Dhabi, uh, they have uh, said they've already decreased their emissions from producing oil and gas 99.2%. The point two makes it sound even more authoritative. It, uh, it, is that feasible? Have they really done that? Is there carbon capture technology that's that good? Well, Climate Trace can measure it now. Do they think we don't see what they're doing, don't understand what they're doing? A lot of people maybe uh, just want to look away from it. Pretty ironic here in this country, you know, the coal-burning utilities have been given a new mandate this year by the EPA. Uh, you got to clean up your act. Now, you can keep on burning coal and you can keep on producing electricity with it if you use carbon capture and sequestration. Well, they scream bloody murder. Another story about it this morning. 
but th- they say, that technology, that's not feasible. It's not technically feasible, not e- economically feasible. So they need to get their story straight, uh, in my opinion. So the technology of CCS has been around for a long time, 50 years. And you, we get used to technologies automatically getting cheaper and better, you know, with the computer chips and the cell phones and all that. Well, University of Oxford did a whole study and some fast, some come down and cause fast, some slow. A few are in a category called non-improving technologies. And that's where carbon capture and storage is. 50 years, not, a, not any price decline. Well, could, could we get a breakthrough in spite of that? Maybe. We're throwing a lot of money at it. We had to do that to get the compromise that passed the IRA, and we ought to continue the research. But again, let's don't pretend that it's here. It's not here now. And to use it as an excuse, right now they've got another one now. It's called direct air uh, capture. Uh, these are giant vacuum cleaners that uh, uh, use a, an awful lot of energy. It's technically feasible, but it's extremely expensive, and uh, it, it also uses so much energy. But it, has, it is tremendously useful. You know what it's used for? The CEO of one of the largest oil companies in the U.S. told us what it's useful for. It's useful to give them an excuse for not ever stopping oil. A few months later, she said, this, this gives us, this new technology, a license to continue operating. Some people call that a moral hazard. For them, the moral hazard is not a bug, it's a feature, as the old saying goes. Uh, and the new model, seven years from now, each of these machines is going to be able to capture 27 seconds worth of annual emissions. Woo! That gives them a license to continue producing more and more oil and gas, or so they claim. Well, they also say the experts that in order to be economically feasible has to come in at $100 a ton or less. The leading company says that 27 years from now, it may come down below three times that amount. So again, if this sounds kind of incredible, it is not credible, but they're using it in order to gaslight us, literally, but I didn't mean it as a pun, but that's what they're using it uh, to, to do, and we can't fall for it. The biggest obstacle to to direct air capture is probably physics. And what I mean by that, they've explained this to me. CO2 makes up 0.035% of the air. So we're going to vacuum the other 99.96% to get that little bit out. Come on, really? Come on. This is, uh, and it doesn't even pretend to catch the methane or the soot or the mercury or the particulate pollution that kills 9 million people a year around the world. And that's why the, the, the climate justice advocates are so down on this kind of nonsense. They say, uh, look, it, we need to fight climate change, but don't do it by pretending to do it and continue dumping all this pollution on the, the frontline communities that are downwind from the smokestacks. And that's, that's why they have not uh, ever really liked the carbon capture. And what about all the energy that's needed? Is it going to come from more fossil fuels? Well, in case of Occidental, yes. Uh, But could it come from more solar and wind? Well, if so, why not use the solar and wind to replace the fossil fuel burning plants that are putting all that stuff up there in the first place? 
Doesn't that make sense? Am I missing something? Anyway, the environmental justice uh, advocate who is making the point that you can't do it without protecting those who are victimized a downwind from the smokestacks downstream from the pollution. Now, some of the companies, of course, you say we're going to offset our emissions. And again, offsets can play a role, a small role, 5 to 10%, according to the Science-Based Targets Initiative, the most authoritative source uh, on all of this. Uh, but, you know, Chevron just had its offsets analyzed. It turned out 93% of them were worthless and junk. And that's too often the case. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. And their offsets were only aimed at 10% of their emissions in the first place. 80% of the fossil fuel companies just completely ignore the Scope 3 emissions, which is the main part uh, of their pollution problem. So they say that they have increased by 400% the share of their spending on energy that goes to green technologies and carbon capture. And yes, they have. They've increased it all the way up to 4%. Uh, And it's not even as good as that, because if you look at the windfall profits they've been getting, what have they done with that? Well, they gave it back to the shareholders through dividends and uh, stock buybacks. So the amount of money the the fossil fuel industry is investing in in renewables and carbon capture is 1%. Does that mean they are sincere actors working in good faith? I don't think so. A lot of people still think so. They think they're on our side. I don't think it's in their nature to be on our side. I think they're driven by incentives that push push them in the opposite direction. But in any case, they produce no solutions whatsoever that are scalable or, or remotely feasible. And again, they have actively fought against the solutions that others have been trying to bring. I've seen it personally. Many of you have seen it personally, and it's happening all over the world. No progress, they've even gone backwards. Now, if a company says, look, we shouldn't be excluded from the COP process, we know a lot about energy. Here's a simple test. Does the company have real net zero commitments, a genuine phase down plan, yes or no? Uh, Are they committed to full disclosure, yes or no? Are they gonna spend windfall profits on the transition? Yes or no? Are they committed to transparency? Will they end their anti-climate lobbying? Will they end their greenwashing? Will they be in favor of reforming the COP process so that the petrostates don't have an absolute veto on anything the world wants to discuss or act on? We've got to change that. In order to move faster, we have got to empower the global community in a way that frees them from the hammerlock that the fossil fuel companies have on them today. And any company that doesn't pass this test, I'm telling you ought to be prohibited from taking part in the COP process. What about about the company that's led by the president of this year's COP, uh, the uh, Abu Dhabi National Oil Company? Well, it's rated one of the least responsible of all the oil and gas companies. It no longer even releases information on any of its submissions, has no transition plan, no shorter midterm targets, scores a pathetic three out on a hundred scale on their transition plans, and the, and the nation's plan is rated 
highly insufficient. They just put out a new one. It's still insufficient. So that's the first obstacle. Second one's a lot clearer. This one has to be removed in order to get uh, to the faster solutions. But in order to remove it, we've got to do something about the second obstacle, and that is the financial system, the global allocation of capital, and the subsidies for fossil fuels. Governments last year around the world subsidized with taxpayer money more than a trillion dollars subsidizing fossil fuels. That's five times larger than the amount in 2020. Are we going in the right direction or the wrong direction? Well, there are a lot of good things I'll show you, but this, this has to stop. And the, the, the 60 uh, largest global banks have put five and a half trillion extra dollars into the fossil fuel companies since the Paris Agreement. And preposterously, 49 of them have also signed uh, net zero pledges. So we, global allocation of capital, the borrowing of private capital is ruled out for many developing countries. Nigeria has to pay an interest rate seven times higher than, than Europe or the U.S. Political risk, corruption risk, currency uh, risk, offtake risk, it's rule of law risk. That's why the World Bank and the other multilateral development banks are supposed to take those top layers of risk off. And that's why we need reform in the World Bank. Thank goodness so many fought to get a new head of the World Bank, and I'm very excited about his progress. Now, when these obstacles are removed, we can really accelerate progress. There'll still be problems, of course, but we have everything we need and proven deployment models to reduce emissions 50% in the next seven years. But we will still need better grids, some more resilient uh, grids, more solar and wind, much more regenerative agriculture. That's a way to really pull carbon out of the air. Uh, more electric vehicles and charging uh, stations and more energy storage and more green hydrogen, so more electrolyzers to produce it. And these are all surmountable obstacles. Already renewables account for 90% of all the new electricity generation being installed each year worldwide. 93% solar and wind in India last year. And of course, the solar's taking off and so is wind and so are the electric vehicles and battery storage. Uh, it has grown so uh, dramatically. Just seven years ago, there was one gigafactory. There are now 195 gigafactories and another 300 in the pipeline. So will we succeed? Some people fight with a vulnerability to despair. You know, the old cliche, uh, denial ain't just a river in Egypt, despair ain't just a tire in the trunk. There are people <laughs> that are vulnerable. But let me close with what I regard as amazingly good news. What if we could stop the increase in temperatures? If we get to true net zero, astonishingly, global temperatures will stop going up with a lag time of as little as three to five years. They used to think that positive feedback loops would keep that process going. No, it will not. The temperatures will stop going up. The ice will continue melting and some other things will continue, but we can stop the increase of temperatures. Even better, if we stay at true net zero in as little as 30 years, half of all the human-caused CO2 will come out of the atmosphere into the upper ocean and the trees and vegetation. So young people are demanding that we do the right thing. 
Do not be vulnerable to despair. We are going to do this. And if you doubt that we as human beings have the will to act, please always remember that the will to act is itself a renewable resource. Thank you very much. Thank you. Support for TED Business comes from Odoo. What's Odoo? Well, Odoo is an all-in-one management software with apps for every business need. Odoo has apps for CRM, accounting, sales, HR, inventory, manufacturing, and everything in between. And they're all in one easy-to-use software. And the best part about Odoo? All Odoo apps are integrated, helping you get things done faster and more efficiently. So when you think about business, think Odoo. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash tedbusiness. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash tedbusiness. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Now I'm mad too. You know why? Because this was the hottest summer on record, with devastating floods that killed thousands of people across the world, in places like Libya, China, Greece, and Brazil. And it's looking like things are only going to get more extreme. Look, I've worked with a lot of different companies over the years, and most of them have structural safeguards against conflicts of interest. This talk shows us why that's important. Why should we trust that fossil fuel companies can overcome the perverse incentive of profit to make the drastic changes we need? The climate activists in the streets are telling us we can't solely rely on the promises these companies make. And you know who we should listen to more? The climate activists. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Pushkin Industries and fact-checked by Hana Matsudaira. Special thanks to Alejandra Salazar, Corey Hajim, Michelle Quint, and Colin Helms. This is Madupa Akinola. Talk to you again next week.